0: Hello and welcome to MacBytes episode 55. I'm Mike and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. In this episode, frictionless sharing, colour pickers and the answer to the most important question of the week, has Lion been a roaring success at MacBytes headquarters for Elaine? But first, a little bit about the uh, mouse mats that we talked about in the last episode. Yes, I've had quite a few biters uh,
1: contacting me and asking about the gamers mouse mat that I mentioned. I think I said it was about £5. Well, it was when I bought it. It seems to have gone up to around the £7 mark, but it's still available and I will put a link in the show notes so you can go and have a look at it yourself. And while I was researching said mouse mat, which was oh, very cost effective, I did the impossible. I found a mouse mat that was more expensive than mine. I was going to say, is that possible? Yes. I I was concerned that it wouldn't be, but no, it is. It is um, it's a very weird looking thing. It is called a razor ironclad hard mat. Interesting. Mm, it it's a bit of a gamer's mat again, but yes, it's slightly more expensive. It's around the thirty-five pounds mark. See, mine was a total bargain, like I said last week. Was that about
0: fifty p cheaper?
1: Yeah there is
0: one more expensive. It all counts, I suppose. You know
1: what I need to do now, don't you? I need to go and get one to test it.
0: No. Hmm. I can feel a no coming on. Fair no enough. No coming on. Um, something more more my scene, I think, than the gaming mouse mats is the Final Cut Pro uh, ten update this week.
1: Uh, yes. Well, since the last show, it's about eight, nine days ago now, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Some nice features added. And if I could use it properly at the moment... <clears throat> kit permitting i'd be very happy yeah they seem to have added some nice features to it i'm hoping it's a little bit more stable it was a bit finickety And uh, there's also an update out to motion as well, which I have been using, and it does have a bit of a mind of its own at the moment. So, again, I'm hoping a point release will make it a little bit more stable, but uh, all good news. And unusually for Apple, they've released a, a roadmap type of thing of what they're going to be adding and when approximately they'll
0: be adding it. So I thought that was a nice touch as well. Let's see if they keep to it. Oh, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. And we also heard from uh, Graham via Twitter um, talking about Astor selling uh, £25 um, iTunes vouchers for £19, which was a £24... 24%? £24 <laughs> discount. <laughs> you can <laughs> oh get a £24 God, pound discount on a £25 card. Point <laughs> me in that direction. <laughs> uh twenty twenty four percent discount. No, you seem um, disappointed if- now. You've disappointed a lady now. <laughs> yes, I don't know if that offer's still on, but uh, I did Google to see if it was limited to the bigger stores because I know we had that issue with the boots one. Oh, yes, we need bigger boots. I didn't find anything, but I did find a comment um, who, from one of these these, uh, these hot deal sites, I think it was, and the comment was, um, I hope it helps somebody. The poor woman on the checkout was totally confused. Ah, nothing new there then. That happens to me every time. No, you've
1: got to look after yourself with those things. I don't know why they don't train them better or, or yeah. only have them available at, from certain tills. I think half the time the staff don't know they're on. They don't know that they're on offer, but they also seem quite confused about how they're supposed to sell them. I can understand it because they sell lots of different products that are voucher related or, you know, lottery tickets, that kind of thing. And each one's slightly different. And I know if, if the, um, I used to work in a shop when I was uh, working my way through university and it was a nightmare. If you, if, if the till didn't tally up by the end of the shift, you had to put whatever was missing in to balance it out. So if you missell it... It's coming out of your pocket, which was quite harsh, especially if it was sort of one packet of cigarettes or something. So they really do need to train the poor staff better. They're they're probably sat there all wide
0: eyed and like, oh, no, please don't buy an iTunes voucher, please. (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing with them. I think they just need better training. I don't think they had iTunes vouchers when you were a student.
1: Are you casting aspersions (laughs) on my age, dear? No. Mm. Didn't have iTunes in my vouchers. (laughs) And no, they weren't black 78s, thank you, before you start, Anyway, talking of age and birthdays. Yes, the great confusion for the MacBytes birthday calendar debacle rumbles on. I mentioned I'd tried to add Minster's birthday to my calendar. Oh, it was all so simple at the beginning. And um, he was appearing on certain devices and not other devices. And it generally was confusing. Well, after the last show we discovered that it was Oz Rose's birthday. So happy birthday, Oz Rose. Happy birthday, Oz Rose. Yes, and I'm not going to
0: serenade you. No,
1: don't, please. You'll upset the poor woman. So I decided to test this out and as add Oz Rose's birthday to my calendar. So the the procedure I was using was putting it in my address book. And then I thought, right, what I need is, is the right way to do it. So it will... Ripple through all my other calendars and my devices. So I thought I will add it to the address book with the calendars closed. I will then close the address book, open the address book and make sure it's still there. Oh yes, I was beating it into submission at this stage. Then I would open iCal and make sure that that had synchronized. Then I would open BusyCal, check that, and then I'd check all my iDevices. Yes, not a problem, I thought. And all was going pretty well. Uh, the address book was fine. iCal updated itself and that was fine. So I had Minster on the Monday and Oz Rose on the Tuesday. Everything was fine. I opened up BusyCal and BusyCal was fine as well. Then I got on to my iPad. Hmm, not quite such good news on my iPad. Rather confusing. It updated. I could see that it was updating all the events and it downloaded them all. And I did indeed have two birthdays. Sadly, there were two Minster birthdays on the Monday and Osrose nowhere to be seen on the Tuesday. I have no idea what it's playing at. I really don't. Uh, the other two devices updated and they were OK. So I've just got one device with two Minsters and no Osrose, which while Minster may think that's a good deal, don't think Osrose would. So we then heard that it's Graham's birthday on Tuesday, so I'm going for a hat trick. Best of three, anyone? Mm, good luck. Thank you. I shall report back. I think they'll look forward to it. I'm sure they will. I'm <laughs> sure nobody has the, the problems with calendars that I do. I, I'm thinking possibly, I keep blaming iCloud,
0: but eventually iCloud will be released and then the dirty truth will be known. It's exactly the same. We can still blame iCloud when it's released. T-things I, I just don't
1: understand it. How can it be right on certain devices and then another device synchronizes and that one's not right?
0: I've had I've had similar problems and I I don't know.
1: No, I I'm
0: thinking at the moment the iDevices
1: aren't a hundred percent stable. That's why I mentioned Google Calendar. But it's all right. I slapped myself and, and
0: came back to my senses. Just yes, mentioned Google again. So carry on. Well, now that you've got used to uh, Facebook, there's been quite a few changes, haven't there? Yeah, yeah. Just as <laughs> i would got the hang of it, you mean? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't go that far. Uh, Yes, that I found, uh, I was reading about it, trying to learn, as you do, and I found a very interesting phrase, frictionless sharing. Mm. Mm. It seems to be uh, everything you do on every site goes through to Facebook. That's the summarised version. Uh, It obviously came to the fore this week in relation to Spotify, with that you can no longer sign up for Spotify without having a Facebook account. Spotify gave some news out about that, and I thought, inaccurate. They said that um, you didn't have to use your own Facebook account. So if you already have a Facebook account, you don't want to link that one, or you don't want a Facebook account full stop, then create another one that you don't put anything on at all. But I'm sure I read in the Facebook terms and conditions when I was creating Facebook pages that they reserve the right to close all your accounts if they find out that you've got two, that you're not supposed to under any circumstances have two Facebook accounts.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think I
1: remember reading that too. Because I was thinking exactly the same. Well, if you've got to Facebook stuff for freebies and things, well, just create a separate account. That's what you do on Twitter. And, and no, that's uh, more than frowned upon. So uh, I've already got a, a pro Spotify account and I haven't linked it with Facebook. I've spared everybody that. And no, it's not because I can't do it. It keeps reminding me it, it every time I start it up. You want to push this through to Facebook? Like, no, no, it would be far too embarrassing. So um, not sure. It's
0: of... the same true on the uh, the free Spotify accounts. What, that if you've already got one, you're OK? Yeah, and that it's going to ask you to link through. I believe so. I believe because so. I haven't tried either. I haven't been into Spotify on the, the iPhone. I haven't been into Spotify on the, the Mac since, since this story came out. Well, the the Facebook, all the Facebook sharing
1: was already there. All they've done is if you're signing up, you've got to now give it a Facebook account. So I think if you've already got an account, you'd be okay. What would happen if you had a pro account and let that lapse back to a free account and then you wanted a pro account again? I don't know. It may then insist. But Mm -hmm. what they did do later in the week, because this really did kick it off with people, they added an option uh, for private listening. So you can now go in, into Spotify and there is an option from the menu that you can enable private listening like you can private browsing. And it won't push it through to Facebook, but you still need it linked
0: to a Facebook account if you didn't already have an account. Mm. Facebook's becoming the uh, the evil. I don't know what the word is. New Microsoft. That's right. Yes, yes. The new Microsoft. Um, it's trying to trying to own everything, isn't it? Because I went into obviously I've gone into Skype, which is what we're using to when we're recording the show, and that tried to get me to to link up Skype with. Uh, Facebook Do you think it's going now? to be
1: a, a prerequisite to accessing the internet in the end? <laughs>
0: I think it I'm, is. I'm
1: still, you know, just as I'm I'm getting the hang of it, they change everything. No, I'm not a Facebook fan and I, I don't agree with these. So have it there available as an option if you want to, but don't make it compulsory.
0: That's ridiculous. There's a lot of people that I'm seeing in my Facebook feed who are talking about closing their Facebook accounts down. You know, these kind of things now are the, 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 the kick in the backside they need to actually Shut Facebook down. I
1: don't actually get that much out of Facebook, I must admit. Maybe I need to do... I'm seeing with these new timelines that what I'm seeing on one device isn't what I'm seeing on another, and that just is confusion. There's also this business of subscribing to people's um, updates, which I thought, well... If I'm friended with them, then that's what I'm seeing anyway, isn't it? But apparently not. Now it's sort of cherry picking posts. Upon what basis, I have no idea. I'm not actually sure anymore what I'm seeing. So I I think I could miss something that's important because Facebook doesn't deem it to be important. So I don't know really whether I should subscribe to all my friends or what on earth I'm supposed to do with it. If you access it on your iOS device, you tend to get the old view. But I've always thought with Facebook, that was my main problem with it, that if I looked at it on my phone, I saw one thing. If I looked at it on the iPad, I saw something else. And on the desktop, it was something else yet again. And now you've got this this new interface. I'm lost. I'm completely lost. I just want to see, just like Twitter, I want to see the same thing on any device. And I want sort of decent control so I can see what I want to see and not see what I don't want to see. Maybe, maybe on Tuesday they'll release this mythical iPad app for Facebook, and all will be revealed. But I'm, I'm, I'm still not sure. I don't like anything to be foisted upon you, and and these changes are, are being foisted upon us all. So, yeah, it's sad when your friends leave, especially if they're not on Twitter, because a lot of people who are on Facebook don't seem to like or get
0: Twitter or or use it so sort of regularly, which is a shame. It is, it is. Um, should we talk about sexier toys now than Facebook? Oh, please do. Yeah, you had a bit of a posting frenzy, didn't you, this week on Twitter um, about the Amazon event. Oh, yes. All was going well. It was fabulous, really enjoying it, until the dreaded
1: only available in the US. Mm. So not long after the event, about within sort of half an hour, the sites were updated. And um, we have the sum total of one new Kindle available in the UK. Slightly cheaper, admittedly, than the Wi-Fi only Kindle at the moment. But it's the £89 keyboardless Wi-Fi only, with half the battery life of the existing model and half the storage. Hmm. Do you actually need a keyboard? I don't use the keyboard often, no, because I don't tend to make notes on books. I do just tend to use it as purely to consume mainly fiction as well. If I've got technical books, I do have some on the Kindle, but I do prefer the bigger screen and the colour screen on the iPad for those. Um, So for that reason, no, I don't tend to use the keyboard that much. But with my network configuration, I'd have to at least enter my network password and that would be a nightmare if I had to use anything other than a keyboard. In fact, the Kindle keyboard doesn't have numbers on it. And and my uh, network key is sort of hugely long and very complicated. So it was bad enough to put it in with a keyboard. It would be a nightmare with, with what is just really... a um. It looks like one of those rocker switches off an old Nokia. You know where you had a keyboard on the screen and you moved it across? I know the ones you yeah, mean, yeah. That's what it looks like. So... A little bit like the Apple TV um, with the Apple remote. When you're putting in your network key, it is a complete nightmare. So I don't think you actually need the keyboard per se, but it's a sort of nice to have. Obviously, I'd have been interested in the Kindle Touch and I would probably have gone for the 3G one, which isn't available. (sighs) I mean, I do not understand. I can understand the Kindle Fire because that is sort of so inexorably linked with the services that they have available in the States for streaming movies and stuff like that, that maybe that wouldn't translate to the British setup that they have very well. But I don't understand the touch. I really don't. And I would have bought one. So they've lost a sale there. I would definitely have bought that. Um, Also quite interesting that, that there's now, there's the old one. There's what they're calling the Kindle keyboard with 3G but there's no new model in the UK with 3G anymore. You would have to buy what is now an older one, which is slightly concerning, I would have thought. Slightly concerning. And I also think, I mean, I would actually, not only would I have bought a Kindle Touch with 3G, I'd have probably bought a Kindle Fire as well, because I do think the streaming move is the audio, oh, the free gold bars. Well, OK, I made, I made that bit up about the free gold bars, but You know, it did have a lot of features. I would probably have bought one given the price of it. What I was surprised at, though, was that there was no Kindle with colour e-ink. I was expecting a colour one that used e-ink and there was nothing at all. So, nice event. Very, very disappointing at the end of it, though. So, you're buying? No. I'm not going to replace what I've got with something with half the battery life, half the storage, uh, another £89 and no keyboard.
0: No, absolutely not. Seems sensible. Mm. So I think it's about time you revealed all. Really? Mm. About your week with Lion.
1: Yes. Or the subtitle to which is, or oh, it should have been, mmm... Not a good week. Not a good week. I mentioned I was having problems with my kit. It was running very slow. And then the disk uh, utility was reporting errors and it suggested I reformat the main hard drive. (laughs) Yeah, no light matter. Believe you me. So um, after copious backups, which I already had, luckily, I have a backup system in place and it super duper twice a day. So I did have a working super duper clone which I then cloned again. So I had three bootable drives at that point, one of which was not too happy. And I reformatted the drive through much gritted teeth because it it affects your productivity. You know, you're down for a day while you generally fiddle around and it's very annoying. So I reformatted the drive and I checked that it had no errors. And then I had the big decision to make, to lion or not to lion. Well, as we said last week, we did sort of say, didn't we? Why aren't we upgrading? And we were fast running out of good reasons, I seem to recall. Yes. It's all right, I found one. (laughs) But never mind. I will now do a mic and give away the punchline early. Sadly, it was only three more days before the kit gave up completely. As did I, and ran back to my snow leopard image, screaming with terror at some of the... (laughs) improvements does air quotes in Lion. Mm, Not good. Well, first, the good news. uh, I did a complete reinstall on uh, a naked reformatted hard drive. So I wasn't doing the download from the store and and had a Snow Leopard install installed. I did not. So I manually created an installer on the only pen drive I could find, which was a 16 gig one. So I had 10.7 on that pen drive. I installed that and then updated to 10.7.1. Now, I created that manually. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to the instructions. But subsequently, I found that there is a free utility called Lion Disk Maker. So, I had a look at that and it, it does one thing and seems to do it fairly well. It creates for you from your own download from the Mac App Store, a Lion installer. So it could be on a pen drive or an external disc, or you could put it even on a DVD. The benefit of using that is it seems to fit onto a four gig pen drive, which it doesn't, I don't think, if you make it on your own, you really have to fiddle around to get it to fit. I looked at the site, started having a read of it, and there were some great tips on that site about installing Lion generally, Um, the common errors that you would encounter. There was also lots of information specific to certain hardware. So particularly the MacBook Airs and the new Mac Minis, which um, are the only machines so far that are Lion only. Uh, So if you wanted to try and install the version from the store on one of those, you needed to do extra little things. And it was all detailed on this site. Uh, There was also people who, instead of keeping the whole download, which I I did, um, they have extracted the DMG from the download and not kept the whole package. And if you don't keep the whole package, then you can't use this Lion Disk Maker to make you the bootable image. Um, but it, it gave you workarounds for that as well. Pretty much, you seem to be recreating the package around what you did keep to save you downloading it again. So, that worked so well, uh, the one that I created myself, that I decided, um, I, I mean, I'm going to have to go line at some point whether I like it or not. So, I got myself uh, three gig pen drives on the way to make uh, bootable various bootable images with. So, that was the good news. It was... Sort of all downhill after that, really. Um, there were the usual basic niggles that, that we've done to death. Um, I first thing I did was put the colour back in the sidebar. Then there was the iCal interface, uh, the torn paper. There's a hack for fixing that, but there's also um, the interface fixes to get rid of the leather and whatever that. Thing is supposed to be in the address book. <laughs> so I'll, again, I'll put all the links to um, the fixes. I, I, I'm not saying hacks there. The fixes for those in the show notes. Um, but then I was like, as you're sitting looking at it, there was a sort of where on earth's that gone moment. Uh, one of the things was the path bar, which is at the bottom of each finder window. I always
0: have that turned on. I'm assuming you do. I do. That's the thing where you can just click on the folder names, isn't it, to, to navigate. Yeah, I
1: actually navigate with that because I do. sometimes, you know, when I mentioned essentials a few weeks back and I said, you know, it opens up a finder window looking at a specific location. Well, the, one of the quickest ways to sort of go back up the breadcrumb trail is to use that path bar at the bottom. And if it's not showing, then you can't do that.
0: Exactly. Um, easy
1: enough to turn it on. But, you know, why is it turned off by default? So you go to view, show, hide path for that one. But then there was still something missing and I'm looking at it thinking, where's the, where's the item count and where's the disk space? Because I'm usually moving lots of files about and I just automatically always look at the disk space. It's not that I'm short of disk space, I just... It's a comfort for me to to see it all there. And that wasn't showing either. And I thought from memory that came on with the path bar, but apparently not. That's separate. That's the status bar. So then I had to go and turn that on. So view, show, hide status bar for that one. There is a shortcut for that, which is command and forward slash. So got those back on. And of course, at this point, I then needed to install some software. I was bereft. There was nothing there at all. I was trying to use LaunchBar and it wasn't even installed, that kind of thing. So I started installing the software and I noticed something that seemingly was like nothing,
0: which is in the finder window the lozenge had disappeared. You know, when we first got the Mac, I didn't know what that thing was for. I just thought it was like an ornament on the screen. I remember you sitting there and you were trying to eject a drive and
1: you opened up another window and I said, if you just click that thing in the top right, you know, it opens the sidebar
0: and it was like, oh, so a big moment for you. It was. And... um... I didn't even, I know I've not used line as much as you, but I didn't actually notice it was missing in line until you pointed it out.
1: No, it's subtle, you see, isn't it? It's just like all trimmed down and and just slight changes. But do you know what? That is more than just a pain. And that is more than just a niggle. Um, It wouldn't be, it needn't be if they'd have done the rest of it right. But I had two problems with it. When you're installing software, you know, you mount the DMG and up pops a finder window. And sometimes if it's done right, something like uh, BBEdit does it right. They have the BBEdit icon and then they have an icon that represents your apps folder and you drag and drop one to the other. Some applications, though, don't. So you you get this finder window opened and you actually need to manually drag it to the apps folder. Well... In the window that opens, often they've done like a sort of stylized thing and there's a nice background to it and a pretty picture and all the rest of it. And what I do is straight away, click that lozenge and drag and drop the icon to the apps folder. Well, obviously the lozenge is missing. So that's the first problem that I had with it. But the second problem I had with it was, even with the BBEdit situation where the icon's there and the apps icon's there, I can drag and drop one to the other. What's the next thing I'm going to want to do? Eject the BBEdit DMG. Obviously, there's no way to eject it in that window either because the sidebar isn't showing and nor do I have a lozenge to show the sidebar. Now, the wise ones out there will be thinking, surely there's a shortcut key for showing the sidebar. Indeed, there is. It's command and option and S. And in a generic finder window, it works perfectly. The problem is it's disabled in some installer windows which is ridiculous because that's where I need it most. So I'm pressing the shortcut key that works fine on every other finder window, but on these installer windows, it doesn't work at all. So for the first one, installing software with with no icon for the apps folder, you have no option. You can't use this sidebar turner on -er option because it doesn't work. You've got to open another finder window and navigate to the apps folder to drag and drop it. And then when you're done, you need to eject it. Now, ejecting it's actually less of a problem if you use something like LaunchBar. And I know you didn't know this when I said to you. You said, "You know what happened there? Where did that go?" But you can actually eject any volume straight from LaunchBar with just using your keyboard. You activate LaunchBar, and you know LaunchBar um, is adaptive in how it learns. If you start typing, mount- if you start typing rather mounted volumes. Um, Eventually, you can just type MV and that's what I do. It gives you a list of all the drives that are attached to your machine. You then select the one you want to eject and then with it selected, you press Command and E and it ejects it, which is a great launch bar tip. I just don't think... A lot of people, especially the people they're trying to help with this surely is the newbies who don't particularly understand much about this. They're not going to be using LaunchBar to do it. So then they have to open up a finder window to eject the DMG they've just installed from. And I just think that is so long-winded. It is, it's
0: long-winded. Like
1: you were saying, you thought it was an ornament. So it wasn't exactly getting in the way. You didn't immediately think, oh, button, click. No. So I I don't see any harm in leaving that where it was. Taking that away has given me, like I said, two problems. Ridiculous. So now installing software. I don't know actually why. I don't know whether it was deliberately disabled, this command and option and S. But it's also disabled from the menu. So there's no way to actually show that sidebar in certain windows. So not happy with that, especially not when you're building up a machine and you're installing app after app after app. Um, Actually, a bigger problem, and I couldn't believe this one, I thought there was a mistake somewhere with this one. It was copying files. (laughs) It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Yeah, if you want to... Now, I do this a lot, and I know you do as well. And whereas, again, you might say, well, they're making it... I I don't like to use the term dumbing down, but dumbing down for newbies. They're making it easier. But this, to me, wasn't making it easier at all. You have a need to copy or move multiple files from one location to another. And the second location already contains some of the files I'm trying to copy. So for an example, I've got 100 files in folder A and I've got 500 files in folder B. And I I wouldn't know this at this stage, but let's say that 50 of them are the same. So what I really want to do is drag the 100 files from folder A into folder B and be given an option, which if you try to do this in OS 10.6 and below, and right down to OS 9, I believe, you get the finder showing you a copy warning dialog. And the options you usually have are don't replace, skip and replace. And you also have a checkbox if there's more than one file that says apply to all. So that's what I assumed I would see, only I didn't. There is no skip nor don't replace option. So the first time I did this, I, st- I was stopped and I read it. And I thought, well, have they just renamed it? And I carefully looked at it and carefully thought it through. And there's, there's just nothing that is the same option as previously. In fact, I couldn't find a way to do it at all. Obviously, I could say keep both files. Or I could say replace. The problem with saying replace, which would theoretically give you the same option, is that maybe I have changed those files in folder B and I don't want to replace them. But the other thing is, if I'm going to do that, it's going to take me much longer because it's going to overwrite all the files, the 100 I'm moving, instead of just taking 50 and putting them in folder B, it's going to take the lot. It'll take twice as long. The option to keep both files doesn't work either because it then renames them and calls them copy, which left me with the third option, stop, which I thought was ridiculous. Mm, And that I definitely didn't want. So the replace option would need to be clicked 50 times if it was going to say if it was going to come back at you, um, or you'd end up with all these, you know, with copy at the end. Now, workflow-wise, that's a complete nightmare for me. And I couldn't understand why on earth they would make that change. And for once, it's not just me, I'm happy to report,
0: because I told you about it and you found some Apple forum threads. Yeah, there's quite a few threads on uh, the discussions.apple.com. Generated a lot of debate. There's a lot of people who are... Should we say very upset? Comments like going back to, I'm going back to Snow Leopard and uh, Pathfinder's an alternative, but it is more expensive than Lion itself. Well, the one that said they're going back to Snow Leopard,
1: I remember there was a bit that the quote was actually longer. I'm going back to Snow Leopard because of this one
0: thing, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Which is pretty serious. As an example of of what you're saying, um, I've got a presentation assets folder on my my, um, hard drive and it's got you know, a lot of images in and, and fonts and things. And I might want to copy those onto a pen drive to take to work, to, to use on my, my Vista machine. Now, I only want new files to be copied over. Um, there's no point copying whatever it is, six gig of files. It's going to take quite a long time. I want to save time by um, not actually copying across the, the ones that already exist. That's exactly the problem that I've got.
1: I, I did actually even sit there and think to myself, OK, think the Apple way, change your workflow. And I sat and looked at the options, and I sat and looked at the files I had and what I was trying to achieve, and it's, it's not doable. It is not doable with the options that they've given you at all. So, yes, I've got Pathfinder. Uh, yes, it is more expensive than Lion, but it's worth every penny. And if you totaled up what time that would save you in a year, like you're saying, six gig to a pen
0: drive is going to take some time. The other thing is firing up Pathfinder. I usually only fire up Pathfinder or Forklift when I'm doing what we call heavy duty uh, file management. And I don't consider copying a load of files from one device to another heavy duty.
1: Well, no, I haven't up to now, but also I can imagine here, do you remember the last time with Snow Leopard, Apple changed how they calculated the size of a drive? Yeah. And any other application that, that gave you the size of a drive you were looking at it thinking, is that right? Or is that the old way? Is that the new way? If there was toast that, that shows you the size of a drive, I think that still uses the old method. Um, Pathfinder was one of them, Forklift was another. And you really had to keep your eye on, had they updated it to the to, to the new Apple way? Eventually they did. And what was concerning me was, what if Pathfinder update how they work to the new Apple way? Please don't. Interesting. In other words, don't break your own software. But you can you can imagine from their perspective as somebody selling software, dare they do it completely different to the Apple way because then they're going to have problems with users saying this doesn't work the way that my Mac works. So it's a bit like all all these other apps like Evernote and Transmit that have taken the color out of their icons in the sidebar to match Lion. I could, I could see it happening. I just hope that they leave some kind of option because I, I, like you, I'm now using Pathfinder all the time to do that if I'm using Lion and it, it's a nightmare. So that wasn't good. Uh, I did notice while I was busily testing this with my folder A and my folder B on my desktop, um, that if you copy, if you just drag and drop a file to make a copy of it, uh, if I copy test three, I get test four. So instead of it tagging copy on the end, now it only does that uh, in the same folder. So, uh, and if you've got a, a file called test and you make a copy of it, you get test two. So I thought that was possibly a little improvement, but only in the same folder. But then it got worse to me because I was obviously testing each option that Lion was giving me. One of the options was, do you want to keep both? So uh, I'm dragging and dropping it and it said, do you want to keep both? I said, yes. I thought, let's see what this does. It moved the file. It added the
0: word copy to the end, which I didn't think was helpful. So you've got like test for dash copy. Yeah. Which is what Windows does.
1: Oh, joy. Is that where they got the idea? <laughs> it must it's be. amazing
0: how you can always blame Microsoft, isn't it? Because they got the idea for the uh, key both files from uh, Windows 7, I think. I just think that's stupid. Or Vista. Keeping both files is one thing, but, but not changing the name of them. Yeah. No
1: way. Um. But then what happened was, so I ended up with a file with copy at the end of it. And in the kind column where it tells you what kind of file it is, it had no idea. It was blank. <laughs> so I thought, well, I wonder what will happen if I double click this. Do, does it know what to open it with? And it did. Um. It, it was actually a text edit file and it opened with text edit. So that was fine. But it sat there and had no clue what type of file it was. So it managed to copy it. But it it totally lost what type of file it was. So uh, on the back of your research, I did more research. And there is a terminal command that will let you return the copying to the old way. But I don't want to have to drop out to the terminal if I just want to copy some files. Um, Now, I also found this comment on one of these forums, which is, I'm optimistic they're conscious of the problem from some of the articles I've read. But because it seems to be a larger problem than just whether to put a button back in the interface, it probably won't be fixed before the next next update. Just guessing, of course, I don't work for them. It's called recursive copying. I found a post somewhere here about it saying that the keep both files function made the do not replace function work intermittently or not at all, which is why we don't have it in Lion. Which would be more frustrating? I don't know. And I must admit, I had to agree with that. So by adding one function, they broke another and then decided to
0: just take the whole thing away. <laughs> it's like asking a Windows user to use DOS commands to copy files, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but so far, you know, a Mac user would laugh the little socks off at a comment like that. Oh, you've got to go back to DOS to do that. <laughs> yes, and you've got to go back to the terminal if you want a recursive <laughs> copy. Progress, eh? It's grand, isn't it? So at that point, I gave up with that can't fix that, so I moved on. To your next complaint. Yes, yes, now you come to mention it. Oh, gripe of the week. Where do I start? Or more importantly, where do I stop? Yes, this was Save As versus Duplicate. Um, other people have mentioned this, not, not fond of it. They, they were, I mean, Duplicate's there, it's on the menu, but it's not obvious that that's Save As. It's just a slightly longer winded way of working, but I thought not a showstopper. Until, I can feel it, until coming on. Yes, until I wanted to do a simple job with a graphic. Oh, dear. what This was actually genuine, this as well. This wasn't me testing stuff to try and break it. This was me genuinely just trying to work. I think you'd done enough testing, hadn't you? Oh, I'd given up testing. I was then actually trying to get something done. <laughs> right, I had a TIFF and I needed to convert it to a JPEG. And I had to use Preview because... Creative Suite was activated on. You don't want to go on about why Creative Suite isn't installed. I've got activation problems because a drive died. I hate activated software, but that's a whole different gripe. So let's deal with this gripe first. Right. I was using preview. All I needed to do theoretically was open the TIFF, add a watermark and save it as a JPEG. The old way would have been simple. Open the file, make the change, file save as, job done. Everybody happy the new improved way slightly longer open the file do not make any changes I will explain why not shortly then you need to file export to change the format then I needed to locate the exported file then I needed to open the exported file then I needed to make the change and then I needed to save it again I didn't think that was a workflow improvement either I'm assuming you don't either
0: no, not at all. <laughs> oh, nobody It <else>
1: got worse. <laughs> I'm than just that. listening to you. <laughs> I, you're exhausted just listening to me.: I am. Yeah, it got worse, because if you don't know the way Lion works, because this is, in my opinion, is wholly illogical, what you would do is open the file, make the change. Remember what the change was? I was adding a watermark. then file export, that would be to change the format, and then close preview. Now, you would probably have done it that way. I think I would, yeah. Yeah, now notice what I say, the new improved way. Do not make a change. This was why it was a disaster waiting to happen. As soon as I open the TIFF and I add that watermark, if we go the, the third way here, which is the if you don't know what Lion's going to do to you way, you would open the file, you would add the watermark, you would export it and you would close preview. Lion will have automatically saved a version of the original TIFF that you didn't want edited with the watermark on it. Not a problem. You could open that file up and you could go to file re- revert to saved. If you knew about it, obviously. All right. But this is the big but. If you then move that file to another drive and then realise, because this is how I work. I, I was actually exporting this TIFF from Keynote to my desktop. I was then adding the watermark and then I file the thing away where it should live. But it was on my desktop at that point. But what I do is I consolidate all my artwork onto another drive. And I need to do that to send files to clients. You know, we, I work local and then archive. So workflow wise, I, I can't just stick it where it lives. I will then need to create derivatives of that to package up for clients. So as soon as it's moved, Your problem then is you cannot use the revert to saved. It will say there are no saved versions. So when I opened up my TIFF, the watermark was on it. And obviously it wasn't in layers because it was done in preview. Um, It had changed my pixels and it had ruined my TIFF. I wasn't a happy bunny. That would not have happened the old way. I know why they've improved it. They've, Im- they, well, I say improved. <laughs> let, let me rephrase that. I know why they've changed it. But that to me is not an improvement. Not if just sending, you think you've got the original file, but you, you don't have. Because it has overwritten it, you've moved it and you've lost the revisions. They're, they've changed it so people don't lose changes. Their, their changes are saved automatically. Yeah, but the the... the Flip side of that is that your originals are changed without you doing a thing. There was no way I could close that file and it not save that change. And just moving it to another drive was all it took for that to be lost forever.
0: I think that they. I can see where they're coming from, like you say. Um, and for people who have been using Macs for, for a while, for, for people like us who are, you know, geeks and into it, You can research it and you can work it out what it's doing and you can work out what to do and what not to do. But it should be like, and and I know Bill Gates said this years ago, having a computer in every household, and it should be as easy as getting in your car and turning the engine on or turning the TV on. And for new people, whether it's switches from Windows or people who are totally new to computers, you know, Older people who just want to get a computer for the first time, I know plenty of people who've never had a computer in their life, want to get a computer for the first time for, you know, it could be for just surfing the internet, it could be for uh, using Skype or, or FaceTime to, to uh, communicate with family on the other side of the world, and they just want it to work. And doing something like this is going to put people off, I think. Well,
1: you see, for them, if if it's saving their changes to their letters or whatever they're doing, and they're working on the main hard drive and they're not moving files around, then it would be a big benefit to people like that. Which is more dangerous, losing unsaved changes or saving changes I don't want saved? In my opinion, saving changes I don't want saved is is more dangerous yeah because I can't unbake a cake once once it had changed my pixels that's that file ruined there's nothing I mean, I mean yeah okay, go into photoshop and and try and fix it. You're talking pixel by pixel it can't be done you would it would take hours you you, yes i've taken watermarks off images as well because clients have had that problem that's exactly what's happened well we had this original this was out the camera and we put a watermark on it and whoops we saved it can you get the watermark off it yes but it's a long job it's going to cost a fortune because it is a long and boring job but it's never going to be you can't unbake a cake you're never going to make the egg again are you it, you could do something with it, but it's never going to be the original. Whereas if you lose work that you've not changed, well, recreate it. At least you've got the original to work from. So in my opinion, the, what they've done now is more dangerous than, than what they had before. All because people are, are too, I don't know what, dim witted to save changes. It, re, it reminds you, if you try and close an app the old way, you know, on Snow Leopard, it would say, do you want to save your changes? At no point did this say to me, do you want me to ruin this original photo? It just did it. (laughs) Thanks for that. So I wasn't impressed with that at all. I know in my case, it it was a slightly uh, would that happen with your average user? I I think it could, you know, it happened because I wanted to change the file format and working. The the quick way to work is to add the watermark and then do a, a duplicate. But well, what I won't, what I actually wanted to do with the save as. I, I wasn't impressed with the changing workflow there at all. I think that could happen to anyone because it's happening automatically. You can't stop it happening. You've actually got to pre-think that I'll open this and then I'll make a copy of it and then I'll do this and then I'll do that. But that's going to take a whole different workflow in your mind, isn't it? And you're going to be creating derivatives of derivatives to try and keep the originals. I just don't think that's necessary. I find that more dangerous than losing changes. So that was one of my big, big, big gripes. One of the other things that was a bit... I thought, stupid, was Are this... Are we on to
0: smaller gripes well,
1: now. this one's a slightly <laughs> smaller gripe. Was the um, restoring windows when, when it reopens apps. The option's global, so I might have wanted to do it with maybe little text files, but I certainly didn't want to do it with what it was doing it with, which was ScreenFlow. So, I'd got a 30 gig screen recording, and it decided when I'm trying to record another screen recording to open up the other one that promptly took it, you know, four or five minutes. At which point, I was recording, and then this recording bobbed up. So, not happy with that. Um, I have noticed actually that more apps are going like that. BB Edit on Snow Leopard is automatically saving everything, it's not prompting me for anything when you close it. It just saves the lot. Even if the file wasn't saved, It will save it. And when you open it up, it will be there next time. But I thought that that was only useful on an app by app basis, to be honest. And I don't actually see me using it. So I can see me turning that off because in my workflow, the way I work, I don't always want to go back to the last file that I had open last time I used the app. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't but I want to choose whether I want to see that or not. So what I do is, I, again, I use Launch Bar. I start typing the app name, and as soon as it's got the app, if you use the right arrow key, you will see a list of recently used files. You select the one you want, press Enter, the app opens, and it opens that file. Now, is that not a more elegant way to handle it? I would say it is, yeah. Mm. Well, on my Lion blog post, uh, John Herdman said he's not a fan of the reopen feature either. And now I said I liked the resume feature, which isn't the restore feature, the two are slightly different. I said I like the resume feature that if I need to reboot um, and I want to have all my apps that I had open open, automatically. I quite like that. But Graham Russell pointed out that that resume feature, um, you need to deactivate it every time if you don't want it. So if you decide you want to do like a clean reboot, you've actually got to say, don't open these things, that it doesn't remember it. And as he pointed out, that's such a small thing, but it's a small thing that Apple usually get right, not wrong. So I have problems with, with restoring Windows as well. I think it's sometimes useful, but I'd love it if that were on an app by app basis. I don't think we're going to see that though, because that's going to make using it more complicated. Then you would have to go in and do that. But why they can't just add advanced preferences is completely beyond me. So, something like um, in BB Edit, I know you don't use BB Edit to, to that degree, but in BB Edit, you have an entire range of preferences. There's there's pages and pages of preferences, but that isn't the total extent of the changes that you can make to their preferences. There is a thing that they have called expert preferences. So one of the examples, um, the best example that I use is... They put in an inline find in BBEdit and it works like in your browser. You command an F and up in Chrome, it comes up at the top. I think in Firefox, it comes up at the bottom. You type a word in and then it shows it you on the page. Well, BBEdit has that as well and it's at the top of the screen. But every time you open a new document, you have to do the command and F so you can see this thing. And that isn't actually the right shortcut key, but you have to open this inline find. And somebody said, I'm using this all the time. I really like it. Is there a way I can have it there by default? And somebody came back and said, absolutely, there's an expert preference for that. And they gave them this line. And what you do is you go to the terminal, you type this line, and it changes preferences. Now, an average user is not going to have a problem with that because they're not going to have a clue it's there. But to have the option there for the people who want it is fabulous. And why Apple can't just do something similar. Maybe not as hidden as that, give it an interface, but have it as an advanced option. As we've already established with the lozenge, people don't generally wander around and just click things for the sake of doing it. Well, you don't anyway. So a nice little advanced option. I can't see the problem with having that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you.
1: And then there was Launchpad.
0: Mm. Is this the last annoyance?
1: Um, Oh. It is actually, yes, it's a good one. Oh, it's a good one. Oh, it is. Well, I wasn't overly fond of Launchpad to start with, um, but there again, it popping up when you're installing software from the Mac App Store is just a mild annoyance. Because you kept touching the screen. It was, I, I wanted to reach I out and touch should. it. Exactly. But again, like I'm saying, mild annoyance, you can get over it, you know, click away and it disappears. But the Mac App Store was supposedly a simple method of buying and installing apps. As I understood it, it was completely hands-off. You can't interfere if you want to. And there are very strict rules for developers that every app that you install goes to the applications folder. Or to be more accurate, everything should go to the applications folder. <laughs> You're waiting with bated breath now, aren't you? I think we are. Yes. Well, I'd purchased ScreenFlow. Now, I actually had um, a, a license for it as well with um, a usual serial number. And on my original Snow Leopard install, the one that died a sad and very untimely death on my internal hard drive, I actually had used the serial number. So I hadn't downloaded the one from the Mac App Store. Of course, that was a problem because when your hard drive dies, so does your activated software. So after much swearing and cursing, I decided um. I intended to buy ScreenFlow anyway. The only reason that I had a serial number for version three was that I'd got it in a bundle and it qualified for a free upgrade. But because it's activated, you're allowed two activations per serial number. And I have more than two machines. And I actually had for ScreenFlow 2, I think I had three licenses. And I think you've got one, haven't you? I think I have. So we've got lots of ScreenFlow licenses in the house. It was costing a fortune. So buying from the Mac App Store was a good idea. So that's what I'd done. So what I was doing on my new Lion install was just installing ScreenFlow from the Mac App Store. So it popped up the launch pad. I could see it downloading. It installed. I ran it. No problems at all. I was doing editing with it. Um, I think I did a little bit of a recording with it. And then I closed it down. Then, of course, because I use LaunchBar, I tried to run it from LaunchBar and it was having none of it. Now, sometimes that happens. I know that happens to you and it drives you mad.
0: Yeah, I I even try updating the index and sometimes that still doesn't work. Yeah, I tried updating the index here
1: and you're right. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, Usually what will work or are guaranteed to work is to close LaunchBar and restart it. That's what I end up doing. So that's what I did and I tried again and no it couldn't find launch um screenflow and I thought this is ridiculous is there something wrong with launch bar so of course I'm already not in the best frame of mind I'm not feeling very benevolent towards the lion at this stage so I had to go to the apps folder and I starts looking around for screenflow it wasn't on the machine not only was it not in the apps folder it wasn't on the machine i opened up tembo which is a search programme, and I searched the entire machine, not there. Then I thought, ah, bring in the heavy guns, let's get who to spot. And I searched every drive that was physically attached to this machine. Screenflow was not on it. And I thought, but it's running. It's working. It can't be running from thin air, can it? So I thought, right, let's bring Launchpad up. And there staring at me was the ScreenFlow icon. So it must be working. Yeah? Oh, no. So I right clicked on it to try and see where it was. I needed to see the path of where ScreenFlow actually was running from. Um, This Launchpad business, there's no right click. The only thing you can do is click it and that runs it. I thought that was poor as well. I can I can see where they're heading. We're heading to touchscreens and you can't really right click on a touchscreen. So I, I ran it again, at which point I had to resort to the dock to see where it was running from. So if you go to the dock and you click options, find in finder, up it popped. And there indeed it was. It had managed to install it on a network attached backup drive. Yes, you might well snigger. It wasn't a bootable image. It wasn't a journal drive. In fact, it was a bare drive in a cradle attached to another machine via USB 2. I could not believe that. Everything I've ever downloaded and installed from the Mac App Store has installed to the apps folder. Well, that's the way it should work. I know. I said should. Mm, Yes. But how on earth can that happen? I have no idea. No, I have no idea either. It's never happened before. Never happened since. And I'm just looking at it, scratching my head, thinking, you are joking. So when I used it, it was running across the network on a USB 2 drive. Frighteningly, it was running better than the original had run on Lion in the first place. But I left that on one side as I thought, strange. But then it got worse. I know. How could it get much worse? Well, I decided I was going to have to move it to the apps folder because it couldn't live there. So I, I dragged and dropped it to the apps folder and then, you know, it wanted verification and, and it installed. At which point, Launchpad popped up and now there were two copies of it. It thought it was there twice, but it wasn't any more on the original drive. So when I clicked away from launch bar popped up again and now I had an icon for ScreenFlow and I had another icon. It got very upset at this stage. It put a question mark over the icon and then was repeatedly trying to locate it. So I thought, I must be able to get rid of this somehow. So I deleted this icon with the question mark via Launchpad and thought everything was okay. At least it would run. It seemed to be, you know, launch bar was working because it was in the apps folder. Everything was fine. About two days later, I'm using this network backup drive again. And I thought, what on earth's that? And I found a library folder in the root of it because it, when it had installed ScreenFlow to this drive, it didn't create a folder. There was no apps folder on there. It just stuck it in the root of it. And I found this folder called library. When I opened it thinking, what on earth is this? It was all the licensing stuff for ScreenFlow. Now, obviously, I didn't see that or I didn't copy it. And there it was on the wrong drive. So I... I thought, "Mm, if I eject this drive, will the thing actually run? So then I had to manually do all that. So I had to transfer this library, well, not the library folder, the contents of the library folder over to the right computer. And in the end, I had to take this network backup drive offline just to check that ScreenFlow was actually working. So shall we say the three days with Lion were a very long three days, but no pain, no gain, as they say. Having done all that, the hard drive promptly failed again. Bad sectors. You know what that means, don't you? I'd say it's...
0: Ooh, naughty. Uh, Well, yes, it is. But I was referring to a little trip to the Genius Bar... If you've just beeped out what I said, then you need to beep out genius, Bar because that's a swear word in this house. You'll have to get them to pick it up, you know. I'm not letting you in the Trafford Centre again. You'll be arrested if the last time's anything to go by. I was goaded, admit it.
1: I was severely goaded. You were goaded. Mm, I was. So, sadly, it died before I was able to try a hack, which was um, enabling Airdrop to work via Ethernet. I, the, the name didn't give me a clue <laughs> slow on the uptake. I assumed if I was ethernet connected, I'd be able to use airdrop because the two computers could see each other, but apparently not. So I wanted to try it with the one other lion machine uh, at By's HQ. And I, I hadn't got that far before it died. So I can't guarantee that this will work, but I really fancied trying airdrop um, over cable. And there's a, a link I'll put in the show notes. So my my week with Lion was oh hideously curtailed to three days and um,
0: my machine's broken. Mm. So there's plenty of good reasons not to upgrade a Lion then, isn't there?
1: Well, when it's fixed, what am I going to do?
0: Mm. Mm. Shall we say it's certainly not a
1: done deal at the moment?
0: Mind you, um, it's always handy to have an installation of Lion to tinker with. And with so much software becoming Lion only, if I need to test something, I'd need a Lion installation. Now, Fusion 3 doesn't support Lion as a guest operating system. Version 4 of Fusion does. Um, It's just been released, but we haven't bought it yet. I was disgusted with them because there was no upgrade pricing that's probably why we haven't bought it yet.
1: Well, they said they'd reduce the price, but you know, the price is now the same, whether you've got an older version or not. And I think that's a bit sharp practice. It could, of course, be, it would make sense if they'd done that because it was in the app store, but it's certainly not in there yet. And of course, there are, there are alternatives in the form of parallels. So we just haven't made a decision yet, have we?
0: No. Now parallels seven, does allow you to create a, a virtual machine with LINE as the guest operating system, but it's, uh, I have to whisper this, activated. It also costs £35 a seat, so um, I don't think we are wanting to pay that. No, we're if not. If we can get, sorry? No, we're not. No, uh, if we can, can get a, a decent upgrade to, to version 4 of Fusion. Although also Parallels is supposed to be able to convert your Fusion VMs to to, um, to parallels. And I've got about seven or eight VMs. I'm never quite sure how well that works.
1: Well, the problem with that is that, you know, by definition, most of your, um, VMs are windows and fusion and parallels provide a virtual hardware upon which you install windows and run it. So if you took your seven VMs and converted them to parallels, it's, quite possible. Each one would need to be reactivated, at which point the Microsoft servers would melt down mm. and it would cost us even more.
0: Now, you said that you were sure that you could um, build a-, a VM in Fusion 3, where Lion is the guest operating system. So based on that uh, information, I I did some research and I did find a comprehensive set of instructions for doing just that. Now, the process involves using the disk utility and a lot of terminal hacking, so it's not for the faint-hearted. Uh, but it was a great exercise in learning, and after a couple of hours, I do have a fully working uh, Lion VM in Fusion 3. So I'll put the full details with the instructions into a blog post, and uh, that'll be later in this, w- later this week, um, time permitting.
1: Now you've recovered from spending
0: how many hours building the thing? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, it kept you occupied, didn't it? It did. And as I say, you know, it's, it's working. It's, it's, it's there. And uh, it certainly beats all the problems you had. Oh, yes. My week was much more <clears throat> entertaining. Now, I could actually be relegated to running in a VM at this rate. I've had a weird problem. You better make clear that that's with your computer. Yes, with my computer. Snow Leopard, on my 17-inch MacBook Pro, using Snow Leopard, uh, it's connected to a 23-inch external monitor, and I'm having some strange problems with certain apps. With Chrome, if I have Chrome on the external monitor, I can scroll with the, the mouse wheel, and I can scroll by grabbing hold of the actual scroll bar and dragging up and down. But if I try and grab hold of the, the, the slider, which is that blue, I suppose it's a lozenge shape. Oh, don't it? go there again. <laughs> if I try and grab hold of that, that slider on the scroll bar and actually drag, nothing happens. So, you know, it's, it's unresponsive. But it, I can actually grab hold of the, the whole window by the title bar, drag it over to the uh, MacBook screen, and it works perfectly. Which would be odd if it were Chrome, but it 's not just Chrome is it it's not uh, echo font i 've got similar problems when i When I open Echofon and I start clicking um, say for example i I want to click and, and reply to a tweet. It was unresponsive. Eventually, after doing a bit of clicking around, it opened up the, the, the panel where I can I can read the whole thread if it's a, a thread of tweets. But then when I want to click the close button to close up that, that panel, again, nothing happens. Is it an info panel? <sighs> yes, it is an info panel. Please don't make light of my problems. Sorry. <clears throat> no, your problems aren't, aren't to be made mock of. Not at Thank all. Thank you. So if anyone out there has any suggestions or anyone else has come across this issue, please let me know. Is this so you can get a new monitor just to test it? Oh, and it might as well be an Apple one while you're at it. I'd never thought of that, but now you come to say it. Well, there's
1: a queue for new hardware here
0: and you're at the back of it. So swiftly moving on. Yes, let's move on to the app review. And uh, a couple of episodes ago, we looked at uh, one particular colour picker. I think it was uh, Colour Snapper, was it? It was. And since then, we've been bombarded with emails and comments about different colour (laughs) pippers.
1: Not editing, carry on.
0: (laughs) Pickers. And The reason I stumbled there was because the first one I'm going to talk about is Pipette. We had an email from Alison Sheridan. She said, I heard you mention on MacBytes a problem with grabbing colours in some application. I can't remember which. I use a tiny little app, as Tim Porton says. It does one thing, and it does it well. It's called Pipette, and it's from charcoaldesign.co.uk. You drag the eyedropper over any colour in any tool, and it shows you the colour value and puts that value in the clipboard. So, touch a colour... Or color, as you say, that's with the U, and you've got it ready to paste into your application. So I downloaded it, but the first problem I had was, when you go to the website, uh, you've got three options: You can download an Intel-only version, a universal binary version, and another version that I can't remember. Power PC i think it was windows (laughs) i was gonna say windows but i thought it must be mac only so you could do i actually get the chance here to say the infamous line so you broke it then yes i did break it Ah. for once for once Mm -hmm. it was me i downloaded the intel only version which as i say you would you would think would be the right version because i have an intel mac and when I downloaded it and I installed it and I tested it out, the first thing I found was it didn't work on an external monitor.
1: But there again, not much does on yours.
0: <laughs> that is true. Um, and the copy to clipboard didn't work either.
1: So at this stage, you thought it was either garbage or you'd broken it.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, what I did is I actually found something that, that said, download the Universal Bionic- bang. Ba- ba- I can't get my teeth in now, can I? <laughs> Download the Universal Binary version. Now, it is twice the size, uh, but it works. So make sure that you download the Universal Binary and not the Intel-only version, even if you've got an Intel Mac.
1: You could always try it on Windows as well, if you like.
0: (laughs) I don't think that'll work either. (laughs) You never know. Now, it only works with hex values, which is great for CSS, but not for working with RGB. Because the one that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, Colour Snapper, that actually works with both, doesn't it?
1: It does. But I've always wondered with RGB. You can use RGB values in CSS, but although people tend to use hex values. But one of the problems with RGB colours are, instead of it being one string of numbers, it's three blocks of three numbers. And one of the problems is, yes, you can copy it. But if you wanted to try and paste it into Photoshop, it's three separate um, text boxes. Right. So if you copy three blocks to your clipboard, it's very difficult to paste them in anyway. But I suppose it's good to have the option there.
0: Yeah. The same is true with PowerPoint. I use PowerPoint a lot at work and I want the RGB values for certain things. Now, unfortunately, I haven't got any colour pickers on Windows. But if I do find the RGB value, they are three separate boxes.
1: Yeah, I think it would be better if they put them together with commas or something. Definitely. It would make copying and pasting far easier. Or just use hex.
0: Yeah. Now, the other thing, and Alison did mention it in the, the email, but uh, I think being a man, I just decided to dive straight in there and not read her email. Oh, no, no do, don't RTFM, please. <laughs> um, You run the app, or I ran the app, I clicked the little dropper icon on the the app's um, interface, and then I let go of the mouse, and then I tried to click on a pixel to pick up the color, and it did nothing. And of course, if you go back and read what she says, you click on the, the, the dropper icon in the app, and you actually don't let go of the mouse, drag over the pixel, Don't let go of the mouse until you're over the required colour. Then it picks up the colour and then you can uh, copy to the clipboard. It kind of makes sense when you know. But if you didn't, I think I'd do exactly the same. It just isn't intuitive, I suppose. It is and it isn't. It is when you know, like you say, but it isn't from a, you know, pick it up, don't read the manual and get on with it point of view.
1: I think probably because with me, I use so many design apps. The way the colour pickers work in there is that you click the tool and then you let go and then you go and click the pixel you want. So I think naturally I I would have done exactly what you did. It sort of makes sense though, doesn't it? Because you're picking up a tool within the app and you have to keep it pressed and then move. it. It sort of makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. Another one that, uh, that we got a comment about, two comments, actually, was uh, Digital Colour Meter. We got two uh, comments from Paul Shadwell and Simon Troop. And Digital Colour Meter is free. Uh, in fact, I think the other one is free, isn't it? It uh, is. Pipette, colour pipette's free as well. Yes. Digital Colour Meter is free. It's actually built into the operating system. And you can get to it by going to your Applications folder, then going to your Utilities folder.
1: I'm sure I tried that eons ago, and I can't remember why I didn't stick with it. But you've since looked at it, and you'll probably remind
0: me. Yeah, run the app, and you select a colour. I call it a standard. You've got a choice of RGB, you've got hex. You've actually got um, a number of different variants of that. If I just run it now, actually... Um, you've got RGB as hex value 8-bit, RGB as hex value 16-bit, RGB as actual value 16-bit and 8-bit, and RGB as percentage. And you've also got something that looks Welsh, but it's uh, Y apostrophe R Not use that one myself. <laughs> I just thought maybe you might understand better all those actual values and hex and percentages and things.
1: I've used hex percentages RGB. All depends on the app I'm using in. Right. That one doesn't ring a bell, but I'm not actually looking at it. And I'm a visual person.
0: You are. I'm and um,
1: do- and there's a reason. Oh, good. Good one here. <laughs> little extra, little extra gripe. Uh, the reason that I'm not looking at it is I'm on a lying machine right now. Yeah, it doesn't. Actually I'm not. Work in I'm lines. not spoiling your. No, 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 no. You've done it again. You've done it again. <laughs> Ignore that line, people. Go back to the beginning
0: and start again. I'll talk about that line later. Shall I? <laughs> yes, I think you should. I thought that was a curious thing. No, 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 it wasn't. Okay, we'll come back to that in a minute. It was a great. Okay. Okay, run the app, select a colour standard, and there's a little slider as well, which lets you uh, set what they call an aperture size, which I'm guessing comes from uh, the camera terminology. And it really lets you set the area that you want to capture. So if you drag it to the very lowest uh, part of the the slider, then you are capturing one pixel. If you drag it to the the top end of the slider, then as you hover your mouse over a part of the screen, it gives you a, a bigger area to 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 look at um, you're still capturing one pixel, but for example, if I if I hover over my my MacBytes wallpaper, there's a little plug for the MacBytes wallpaper, uh, I've got the orange and I've got the black and I can actually choose, hover my mouse over this bigger area. And depending exactly where my mouse pointer is pointing, I then get the, in this case, I've got it set to RGB, so I then get the RGB value. I can then press um, Shift, Command and C to copy to the clipboard. And what or are you I actually press, copying? What am I copying? In this case I'd be copying the RGB values right. as three separate well in this case it's black, so it would be zero 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 zero. And if I paste them into text edit, I get zero zero space zero zero space zero zero. If I change it to the um, RGB as 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 hex value then I would actually get the hex values. So uh, when I paste that in, I actually get the hex value, which would be useful for uh, for CSS, whereas the RGB would be useful for, for other things as we talked about before. Yep. There's also um, Option, Command, and C, which copies as an image. Now, I thought that would copy. Um, as an image, and I could then paste it into, say, Photoshop or Pixelmator. Uh, But what it seems to do doesn't seem to work the way I thought. It copies the hex value without the hash sign. There is, however, a Save as TIFF option, which does save the area that you have selected as a TIFF file.
1: Now, I can see uses for both of those. The hex value without the hash is used in Photoshop. Right. So if you have the hash on it and you tried pasting it into Photoshop, it would keep the hash and lose the end value or you'd then have to go back and delete the hash. So that makes sense. And saving it as a graphic is a good reference for applications that you can't paste the colours into that you actually need an image
0: to then pick it up from. Right, like a style guide kind of thing. Yep. Makes sense. Now, let's go back to the the thing that you've spoiled for me before. <clears throat> Apologies. <laughs> it it doesn't work in lion that's a bit fundamental well it doesn't it doesn't um I've got a link which I'll put in the show notes. Um, I encountered my first major annoyance with Lion today. For no apparent reason, it seems Apple have decided to remove some of the most useful features of the digital colour meter utility. For anyone who does web development, digital colour meter was great for quickly getting the hex value of any colour displayed on the screen simply by hovering the cursor over it. So I think now you can only get the RGB value. But this person has actually created um, an alternative, built his own or her, his, her own replacement using a tiny bit of Apple script with the built-in OS X color picker and a free downloadable plugin. Now, this is the one where, as you said, it kicked off. Yes, doesn't it always? Because somebody in the thread, in the comments, said, I really hate how you're charging for that application. Doesn't feel like you're helping, just trying to make a quick buck. I mean, the th- the thing is 99 cents, 69p.
1: Oh, retiring tomorrow then. I think if you've done any work, uh, which, you know, clearly he had, she had then you deserve to be paid for it. Simple as that. Now, I know that it comes free with the operating system or whatever, but, you know, they've crippled it. So now it's not working properly for everybody. I don't think
0: 69 pence is going to break anybody's bank. No, not at all. And as someone says, the guy spends hours developing a great app. He's only charging 99 cents and you have the gall and audacity to complain. If you're so set on someone not getting paid for their time, why don't you develop an app of similar capabilities and give it away to the rest of the world whilst providing support and upgrade?
1: an eloquent rendition of exactly my thoughts (laughs) i think that's ridiculous it's interesting that apple have decided to do that leaving the rgb in though because i would have thought it would be more useful for the hex values especially for css
0: definitely
1: so that does seem rather strange um the app that i originally had a problem with which is why i was looking at color snapper was fireworks and um adobe didn't actually break it they just didn't fix it for lion so they didn't fix Fireworks for Lion and Apple would appear to have broken this for Lion. I'm seeing a theme here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Definitely.
1: Yes, I'm not fond of the cat. Uh-huh.
0: Now, you've looked at uh, two or three other apps, haven't you, which aren't free?
1: Uh, yeah, both of those that you've come across are free. Um, no, the ones I'm looking at aren't free. But I had quite uh, long conversations with people who, who were saying about Digital Um that you know, their opinion was, well, you know, this is free, so why not use it? Um, the one that I I use two mainly, I use ColorSnapper, um, which is really when I want to do something quick. But I also have two other applications that handle colour. So I thought I'd mention them here in relation to this. Um, they're both, I suppose, by today's standards with software, quite expensive. But, you know, I'm loath to use that phrase, given the price of these and the feature set that they have
0: worth all their money.
1: They are. they are. They absolutely are. So I don't think it's expensive for what it does and for the time it saves you. The question that you would need to ask yourself is, you know, do you use these things or would you use these things often enough to make it worth your while investing that amount of money? Now, I'll, I'll give you a clue. The first one is Art Director's Toolkit. And when I say that amount of money, it's 13 dollars 99 so £13.99, which to me, I don't think is a lot of money. I will admit by comparison to the operating system, which was about 21, something like that. It's a big chunk of it. But again, like I'm saying, it really depends on what you're doing. And both these applications that I'll be looking at go far, far beyond Just clicking a colour and it it puts the number on your clipboard. Um, These can
0: actually do more than the operating system. (laughs) They
1: can actually, a lot more. The first one is this art director's toolkit and it's actually a suite of design utilities. Um, I remember seeing it for the first time. I think it was on a MacZot offer. And I looked at it and I thought, well, what do you mean suite of design utilities? Because it's got a single interface. So they're not separate applications in terms of running separately, like um, the components of an office suite. It is a single interface. But within that interface, you have sort of a tab design. As you choose a button at the top, the whole interface changes. The first um, utility that's in there is a designer's calculator. Um and for that it's the kind of thing that I would have built probably myself in a spreadsheet and then opened it up and used it in there. But this is far better because it's just there. Now, why is a designer's calculator different from anybody else's calculator? Well, you have to work with a lot of different measurements. And this has built-in features to convert fractions to decimals um, and other units. So you've got centimetres, inches, millimetres, points, pikers, pixels. You name it, it's in there and you can convert between them all. It also has um, a separate section in the calculator for page sizes and another section for image file sizes. Now, that's what one that I get questioned about a lot, that you've got this image and, you know, You want to print it out 8 by 10, and you know it's either too big or it's too small or it's pixelating. What do you need? So it calculates the quality as well as the dots per inch that you need. That is really really useful. So that's one application. The um, next one is a blending calculator. What that does is it allows you to take two colors and mix them together and then see what the result would be. Now You may think, what on earth would you use that for? Well, if you're printing and you're going to overprint two colours, you want to see what the actual result looks like. So that that blending calculator allows you to see that. And you can say 50% of each or 10% of one colour and 90% of another. And you actually get previews with it. So again, quite niche, but
0: very useful. Can I just dive in here and say, does it blend?
1: (laughs) Yes, it does. It absolutely does. Right, um Another one is the Swatch Utility, which gives you um, colour groupings. There's Pantone colours, WebSafe colours, HTML colours. Now, you're thinking, what oh, do you need all those for? Well, Pantone are when you need to match a colour. WebSafe are colours that will look identical on the web. But the one I think is most useful in there is the HTML colours. As we've said with CSS, how you apply a colour to something is that you copy and paste a hex value and that hex value equals a colour. Well, quite a while back in HTML, they also gave names to specific colours and you can call a colour by its name. So instead of having to know the hex code for red, you can actually just use the word red and it will understand it. The problem, of course, is that there's a whole range of these colours, some with quite exotic names. And it's difficult to remember exactly which was which. Some some make logical sense. Some are far more esoteric than that, and they don't really. And what you get in this Swatch Utility is a whole list of the colours themselves and the associated HTML names. So, I actually think that's quite useful too. Um, another one is the Symbol Utility. Now, that's very similar to the Character Palette. It gives you um, access to fonts and the special characters within fonts. Where it differs, though, as well as just being able to see the character and copy it and paste it somewhere, this gives you access to all the codes as well as the characters. So you get multiple codes. There's hex value codes, unicodes, ASCII codes, HTML codes. So for something like um, a copyright symbol in HTML, it's ampersand copy semicolon. Now, I use that all the time so I can remember it. But there's other ones like trademarks, registered trademarks, um, odd characters from foreign languages that all have their own code. And I certainly, whenever I'm, developing. I, I usually end up at a website. I usually do a quick Google for it and just get a list of them. But actually, in, in the art director's toolkit, you've got that there on your desktop, so you don't have to go up because you're going to get sidetracked on Google if you do that. Well, you are if you me. You know that. Are you feeling lucky and off You wander for half an hour. So very, very useful for that. There's also a text tool, which is really handy for typography. You can choose what Um, phrase you type in, and then you can set the properties for the font, and it will give you a preview of that and allow you to change the kerning and the size, really minute changes just to get this to sort of fit what you're trying to get it to do. So again, very, very specialist. But if you're doing design work, very, very useful. There's also a scale tool, which is sort of semi-related to the calculator. Um, You can set target sizes or target percentages and try and get um, an image down to a file size based on certain criteria. So that's very useful. There's a layout tool which is used for calculating page layouts. Um, You may want a two column design. So you can set this thing to two columns, but then you can alter things like the page size, the gutter size, the margin size, and it will calculate it for you and tell you what um, sizes you need to put where. That one If you've got something like InDesign, you know, InDesign would probably do that for you. But if you've got a less capable application and there are certainly lots appearing in the Mac App Store, maybe you need it. It needs you to be a little bit more manual. It needs you to know what to type into it, in which case this layout tool is absolutely perfect. It gives you all the sizes that you need to just type in and get the perfect layout. Another utility isn't part of the interface. This one sort of floats separately from the interface, and it's a screen ruler, which I actually use one called Pixel Stick um, because it has a slightly different interface. But I have used this one, and it's very, very useful. You'd think in this day and age you had no need to hold a ruler up to the screen. Have you actually done that at work? Because you I have done it at work, yes. <laughs> I thought so. Yeah, well, this is a ruler that appears on your screen and it gives you measurements um, in terms of pixels or however you want to set it. This one looks like um, an L uh, an L thing. I wouldn't say it's an L square. What do you call it? It's not I don't cali- know an L square. It's, it's not callipers either. Set but it, it, square? It's not a set square because it's, it's not square, nor is it triangular. I don't know. It's <laughs> 20 years since I did maths. <laughs> well, it it's like two rulers with um, an intersection. So whatever one of those is. You'd never know maths is one of my strong points, would you? (laughs) Not that kind of maths, the real stuff. Well, that's what that's where you get with this. And you can measure items on your screen, which it it is actually far more useful than you would imagine. You'd think you'd never use it. But I know how often I use Pixel Stick um, several times a week. And that's when I'm not designing. When I am designing, it's open all day. So that is actually very, very useful as well. Uh, Then, of course, you've got the colour utility, which was the whole point of looking at Art Director's Toolkit in the first place. Colour utility is um, the equivalent of picking up values with a colour picker. Now, you can, of course, do exactly the same as with the free applications. You can clip a screen colour... The difference is that you've actually got, by default, six colour wells in the interface. If you think of them as colour car parking spaces where you can drop a colour, so you can click on one of them, you can go and get your colour, click on one of these boxes, and it puts that colour in that box. The benefit that you get with using something like Art Director's Toolkit is that you can then slightly adjust those colours. So if you think the colour on screen is perfect for you and you then pick it up and you think, you know, it's a little bit too bright or a little bit too muted, you can actually manipulate the colour in Art Director's Toolkit, which you can't do with the other free ones. They're just copying a number and just letting you paste it in. You can then move on to a different colour well. So click a different space and do the same thing again. And going through that, you can create a whole colour palette. So there's actually six uh, colour car parking spaces by default, but you can add extra rows of spaces in groups of six. So you can actually build up quite a palette of colours, which you can then save as a palette. By saving it, you can then reset the app, go and select a lot more colours and save those, and then reload the first palette. So you can actually create saved palettes with that and then reload them as and when you need them, which is also brilliant for when you need to reinstall your operating system. Because if you do like I do in the color, the system colour picker, you have at the bottom uh, little w- colour wells that you can put colours in. But the problem is they don't transfer from machine to machine. Whereas these um, are palettes that will transfer. You can, of course, then use the colours by copying them as different formats. So you've got RGB, you've got hex values and all of that. So it does everything that the free ones do. It just does an awful lot more besides. Um, For instance, it also has its own launcher, which... I find pretty superfluous because of launch bar. But what you can do, you can click the launcher and a panel slides out the side and you can add to it whatever applications you want. So the benefit of it is that it's a more specific launcher. So you may choose only to put your design applications in it. And the idea then being that you're doing some design work, you open Art Designer's Toolkit and you actually launch the applications from there and leave that open all the time that you're developing. Now that is £13.99. I can't remember. One of these is on Offer. Is it that one or the other one? I think
0: it's this one.
1: Um, I thought it was the other one. No, it is the other one. The right. Other one. Well, this one is 13 99 in the App Store then. There is a version that's not in the App Store, so you can get a demo of it if you want to take it for a test drive. I actually had it, I've had it for quite a few years. Um, there was an offer on the App Store version, I think it was just a couple of pounds, so maybe around three or four pounds. And I actually rebought it so I didn't have to play around with serial numbers, so it was that good I bought it twice. So that's uh, Art Design, Art Director's Toolkit. But the one that I find that I use most of the time when I'm doing web development is Colour Schema Studio. Now, this one was one of those apps that I didn't want to live without when I moved. So what it has, um, at a basic level, it has the same as the free ones. It has a colour picker that you can pick colours off the screen with. So you open the application, uh, you have at the bottom of the dialogue box the, the old colour picker icon. You click on that and you can go and pick a colour from anywhere you like. It adds that colour to a colour wheel in the middle of the interface. Now the colour wheel itself... You the colour that you've selected appears at the top and it's split into little like, like a pie chart, little segments. Mm-hmm. Uh it shows you by default a colour wheel and it shows you um related colours, but you can actually change what it shows you. You can you can change that so the colour wheel shows you complementary colours, split complements, triads, tetrads, analogous colours or monochromatic colours. And what happens with that is, with the colour wheel, all the colours it shows you are available for you to use. With some of the others, like the triads, you'll only get three colours that are available. And there will be colours that are sort of dimmed out that it doesn't suggest that you use. Once you've got those colours, you can copy the colour in the usual array of formats. So hex, RGB, with or without the hash, uppercase, lowercase and you can build a palette by dragging and dropping any one of the colour chips from the wheel over to the colour car park, which in this case is on the right-hand side of the screen. Now, what makes this one different and I find much more useful is in the colour car park, you can group those colours into folders. And not only can you give the colours themselves names, identifiable names, but you can also name the folders. Now, why that's important is if I'm developing a website and I want uh, all the headings to be a certain shade of brown, then I can go in and I can make my selections and I can call those colours, maybe headings or heading one, whatever I want them to be called. And that comes in very handy later when you come to export them. So just be aware at this point, you can name the colours and you can name the folders. Another way to get colours in there is to use a website called colourlovers.com. That is with a U, unusually. So, colourlovers.com. What you can do with that is you can connect the software to the website. Uh, you don't need an account or anything, and it's completely free. What you can do is you can browse the colours that are on the website, but you can also search as well. So if, for instance, you're developing a website for a holiday company and you're looking for sort of beach or seaside colours, then just type in seaside, and it will bring up um, whole palettes of colours that are some will be like very orangey, others will have like sea colours in them, but you'll be able to tell looking at them that any one of these colour palettes could represent present the seaside. And from there, you can just say, add to my colour palette and it will transfer them all across. For each palette that you add, it adds a group and then all the colours that are within that palette are within the group. And you can then work with those as if you'd actually made them yourself or you'd pick them off your screen. So, from a creating perspective, you've got, you can select them by hand or you can go out to colorlovers.com. You can also create a palette another way, which is using something called Photo Schema. And what you do with this is you drag and drop a photo into the interface. So you select the Photo Schema, drag and drop a photo, and it will generate a palette from that photo. So if you had, I think the example they give is a purple flower. And it's got um, purple leaves on it. It's got quite yellow in the centre and some green round the edge. And it will generate a palette from that photo. So if you're trying to work on a website where you know what the main image has to be and you want the colours that you select to complement it, then that's a really quick way of doing that. Now, obviously, it may choose some colours that you just don't like. So luckily, what it does is it puts dots on the top of the image and they are connected together with connecting lines. And you can pick up one of those dots and just completely move it across the image. So maybe it picks a very dark, virtually black colour, and you would rather it had one of the greens. Well, you can just move that round to the green and it would then change the palette that it generates. If you have a very detailed image and it's not looking great, then you can actually choose an option called Mosaic. And that turns the image into very pixelated, which means that it kind of merges the colours together and you, you, you're, it's not so specific. So you get a more generalised palette from it. You can also, if you just don't like what it's selected, you can cl- click randomise and it will redo it and it will choose different colours. You can adjust the number of colours. By default, it's five. And like I say, it is completely adjustable. When you've done that, you can add those um, that the palette or each or individual colours if you like over to the car park on the right hand side. So that's that, that's three great ways of being able to generate colour palettes. Now once you've got a colour palette, you're going to want to see what that would look like. And as I say, it's very sort of oriented to, to web design. You're going to want to see what that would look like on a website. So you need to, you're thinking probably at this stage, well, export it, I need to get it out. But before you get it out, you can actually preview it before you get it that far. What you can do is you can use the quick preview option. What quick preview does is it allows you to select one from a whole range of very basic web page layouts. They're all grayscale. There's some text in them, some have navigation, some have multiple blocks, some have header areas. Some are just very, very plain. So if you were building a blog and you just wanted a very plain standard page, you could choose that. So you look at all the options that you have available from the quick preview, select one, and it will open it up. We'll open that up in a sort of another dialog box. What you can then do is because you can see the the colour car park on the right hand side of your screen, all you've got to do is just choose a colour and drag and drop it onto the top of the quick preview and then let go. So if I drag sort of an orange colour over to the navigation and I let go, it will colour the navigation orange in the background. And if I don't like that, I can just grab another one and just drag and drop. So it is far, far quicker. There is no quicker way of seeing what your your suggested colour palette looks like. Admittedly, it's not on your web page, but it is on a web page that is fairly neutral to give you just an idea of what it looks like. I actually find that is really, really useful. Now, once I've previewed it and I'm happy with it, then I want to be able to export the colours. Now, the free ones, obviously, we've said you copy and paste. So, if I want 20 colours, I'm going to have to select them one at a time and then copy and paste. Now, that's where these paid for ones and why, you know, they've got lots more features. This is what you're paying for. You have export options and there are many, many export options. The ones I use most are send out the palette to Illustrator. So that's Adobe Illustrator. And that creates a file that I can just open up from the colour palette in Illustrator. So I don't have to be copying and pasting RGB values or hex values or anything else either. I literally just save it out and then open it up and they're all there. Now, that's Illustrator, but there's also a format called the ASE, which is the Adobe Swatch Exchange format. And that's what Photoshop uses and many, many other applications. So if I've created a very complicated palette and I've got sort of 40 colours in it, then it's so, it's such a boon to my workflow to be able to just save it out, open up Photoshop, import the swatches, and I'm good to go with work. So I can export it to that format. You can also export it to a CSS style sheet. Now, what it will do is if you've gone through and you've named those as I suggested, so you know heading, headings colour or um, images, body text, whatever you want to call them, when it exports, it actually exports a fully formatted CSS style sheet. So, if you know, if you're the designer and you've not developed it and you know what names they've called the styles, then if you name them that, then all you've got to do is export it, apply it to the website, and you can immediately see absolutely everything. Obviously, the other alternative is to export it as a CSS style sheet, and then you, because it's only giving you the colour. So then you'd have to start putting in the other CSS bits around it. But it is far faster than doing it any other way. You can also export the palette as images. Now, you might think, why on earth would I want to just take out blocks of colour? Well, when you're making a style guide, you do tend to put in a block of colour showing, or several blocks of colour, showing the standard colours, and it's, it's a very fast way to do it. It also works with Corel Painter. You can export to Corel Painter format and XML. One of the ones that is most useful for style guides and developers Um, is the HTML colour chart. And what that does is export a HTML page, completely self-contained. You open it up in a browser and you've actually got solid blocks of colour with the names next to it that you've given them with the hex values, the RGB values, the full bit. It's all fully formatted and you don't have to do a thing. Now, anybody who can remember building style guides sort of five, six years ago will be thinking, can it really be that good? And, and it is, it is absolutely that good. What I used to have to do was keep one that was sort of a template, but it was, it was such a manual process to have to do that so I find that really, really good. That one is the one that's on offer. Um, it is $13.99 at the moment, but the u- that's pounds, £13.99, which is 60% off the usual price. I don't have the British usual price, but I have a usual price of $49.99. So um, it's on offer at the moment, I don't know how long it will be on offer for. It's also the Apple staff pick uh, in the store at the moment. I would highly, highly recommend that. Whether it's worth that kind of price to you depends what what you're doing with it. If you're just trying to pick one colour and paste it somewhere, probably not. But if you're doing any kind of web development, it will save you so much time. There's also a colour schema touch application for iPhones and iPod touch, and that's only $2.99. Now, it doesn't do all the things that the desktop one does, but you can sort of browse um, the colour website, colourlovers.com, and you can email colour schemes, you can approve colour schemes, favourite colour schemes. So it's pretty useful. I would say it's probably worth £2.99 if you you do a lot of work in that way. Um, From the website, which is, is it Colour Schema Studio?
0: It is Colour yeah, I think Schema it is. St- yes, I think it is.
1: They also have colour schemes available that you can download. Now, I found that app when I moved from Windows because there were two showstoppers for me. And I was surprised that, that they were showstoppers. I wanted, I was using an application very, very similar to this. It was called Colour Cache for Windows. Um, it ran from the taskbar and it pretty much gave me those kind of features. But when I moved to a Mac, there was nothing similar. And I remember writing to Colourcache and saying, I've moved to a Mac. Is there any chance that you'll ever make Colourcache for the Mac? And the answer was no. So I thought, charming. <laughs> never never mind, Was, was it Steve Jobs? No. Yeah, pretty no. much. So I thought, hmm. Uh, they suggested like running Windows in in a virtual machine, I thought, yeah, right. Just to pick some colours, I don't think so. Um, so I I did go over to Colour Schema Studio, but at the time it didn't do as much as Colour Cache. I would I would say now because I've had a quick look today, I would say Colour Schema Studio actually does more now. So it's it's matured into a very good product. The other problem I had was uh, CSS editing CSS. I couldn't find anything to replace top style, which at the time you used that, didn't you? It's very, I use Top Style, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very powerful. I ended up with CSS Edit, but I didn't feel it was quite up there with Top Style. And now, of course, CSS Edit is sort of no more, and um, it's Espresso 2 but I'm liking espresso too. So I, I, I guess I'm happy with the choices I made changing over. Now, I mentioned colourlovers.com, which is where you can go and browse other people's uh, colour palettes. So if you're colour challenged and you don't like working with colours, then you can always go and seek inspiration online. You're talking Lovers, about me, aren't you? Sort of, yes. <laughs> colourlovers.com is one, but the other is cooler or colour, depending on how you pronounce it. It's K-U-L-E-R dot adobe dot com. Yes, it's a flash site. Don't shoot the messenger. But that is all. It's pretty much the same as colour lovers. It is a range of colour palettes that you can favourite. You can download. You can upload your own if you want to share them. It just gives you a sort of starting point. If you've got one colour you've got to work with. I mean, I've had clients come to me and, you know, you've got to work with this colour. And you look at it and you think, oh dear. There's nothing that'll complement that. Do you remember that maroon monstrosity I had
0: to build? I remember.
1: (laughs) Yes, the complementary... Brown colour could only be described as well. Actually, no people might be eating, so I shan't. But it wasn't good. But, you know, maybe I could have taken the original maroon and gone to one of these sites and got um, a little bit of a more palatable alternative. So I'd say if you work with colour even, I would say extensively, even a little bit, I I think they are worth the money. Uh, Now for speed, if I just literally do want to pick one colour, then I use Colour Snapper. (laughs) I like the fact that there's a history with it. Um, I don't think either of the free ones have a
0: history, do they? No, 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 that that is that is one of the benefits, as you say.
1: Yeah. But again, you know, if if you only do want to choose one colour, then to be honest, pipette's probably your best option now, isn't it? I think so. I think it's horses for
0: courses, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but with uh... the digital colour meter not working properly, you can't. (laughs) copy the hex without buying the extra if you do want a free option then alison's pipette is probably your best bet but if you if you need some imagine you know it would work you could create a history just not with the app because if you're copying it it wouldn't work unless you copied it but if you copy the hex value and you have a clipboard extender exactly you'd have no idea what number was what color could prove quite entertaining (laughs) But it would give you some kind of history, but what color snapper gives you is a visual history. Um, you actually see the colors and you can choose by color again it's it's um from the menu at the top you get um a drop down and you can actually see both the hex or the r g b value and the color so that's why I use that one i didn't think I think it was two hundred ninety nine was too much for it, but then I do a lot of design work, so your mileage may vary. But those are the two I use. I use Colour Schema Studio um, and Colour Snapper. I do use Art Director's Toolkit, but I probably use the other stuff more than the colour
0: things in it. And listening to your review, I think I'm probably going to start using Colour Schema (laughs) Schema Studio. I must give you your own teeth back for next time. Colour (laughs) Schema... I can't say it. No, don't bother. Colour Schema Schema Studio more because... Being a non-designer, I didn't realise there was all those things in it, like complements, split complements, triads, etc.
1: You don't really notice. It's got that kind of interface that yeah. it's just there. But if you do, actually, it's in a, it, those options are in a little drop down just to the right of the colour wheel. And you can change greatly the colours that it offers you. And it can help. I mean, I, I've done it with... I've got one site where there's a lot of brown and brown isn't my favourite colour, I'm afraid. So I'm always looking for something to complement it that's not too orangey, not too bright, but not too pasty either. And it's it's come up with quite a few options. So I I like that. I'd recommend it. And certainly while they're
0: 60% off, if you work with colour a lot, it's a bargain. Well, I will be checking out the app whose name I cannot say. (laughs) Is that Pipette or the other one? Both. (laughs) Should we move on? I think we should. (laughs) Your teeth
1: have got a life of their (laughs) own. Yes, it's time for Mac Mac Love Love Bites. Bites. Yes, this week... Oh, no, 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 we haven't got an ooh yet. We, we <laughs> oohed early this episode. Yes, this time we have uh, heard from Paula Maxwell, who says that what she really loves, a Mac bites Live Oh, good timing! She says she's attended twice before and loved it, but the text ch- chat moved so fast and was so funny she didn't get a chance to say too much. Oh, you never mind about that; you just dive in. But she says the MacBiter's were so witty, so I guess that my Mac Love bites is both uh, Mac Love, oh dear, MacBites Live and the MacBiter's. We didn't think of that, did we? No. The MacBiter's as old Mac Love bites. Like that, that works one. for me. That works for me. Yeah. Anyway, thank you very much for that, Paula. And we hope that you'll be able to join us this week on Tuesday when we have another MacBytes Live. Now, we also heard from Amanda, who, yes, his unscheduled appearance didn't go unnoticed, didn't the dog? She said it was great to hear Maya last week. Must admit, Amanda, that wasn't what I said.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not really, no. No, no, we
1: don't need to go into what I said.
0: been the outtake,
1: yes, jumped up, little monkey. As yes, he picked his moments, didn't he? <clears throat> yes, it, it was.
0: Yes, it was. It was a special appearance and very unscheduled. We also heard from uh, Mac Jim. I'm not going to read out the whole thing, but he's been telling us about his setup, which looks very, very impressive. Uh, Samsung LCD TV, Apple Mac Mini itv dtd I'm tuner i'm
1: drooling mm. it's 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 um, an amazing media center setup i say is. yes he's got um lots of tech has I've only i'd known a McJim. i wonder what else i can tempt him with yes it's um it was a comment on one of the show notes i can't remember what number do you think it was 54 or 53? I think it was 54. Right. Well, put a, put a link to it so, so people can read all about this marvellous setup. The only thing that concerned me was he's playing games on it. Now, I'm game challenged. I'm greatly game challenged.
0: Maybe I need lessons from McJim. <laughs> There's a threat for you. It was 54. Well done. And we also heard from Jane, who was doing the honourable thing, wasn't she? She says, Morning World, been awake since a ridiculously early hour, listening to the latest MacBytes episode until the rest of the household awakes.
1: Which sounded fabulous, didn't it? Yes. But I noticed another tweet later, Jane. You might think you got away with it, but you didn't. Yes. When she said, I'm afraid I drifted off again halfway through MacBytes. I promised to
0: re-listen. Drifted off? What do you mean Jane. drifted off? Jane, I've got a confession. I sometimes drift off as well. What? Not to MacBytes, but to other podcasts.
1: No, you just lose your teeth to MacBytes.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Now, other people were doing other things with MacBytes, weren't they?
0: <laughs> yes, Darren was listening during his run and gym session. Um, I said it must be a very long run, um, but it, apparently he's. Sp- spreads it over over several runs because... Looking he might at drop the,
1: off in the middle.
0: <laughs> yes, looking at the duration of this episode, it will be a marathon, never mind a <laughs> run. Oh,
1: indeed, Ron. I personally preferred Minster's laid-back approach. Yes, uh, Minster was on holiday and took it with him. Yes, he was bribing um, Barman to give him Wi-Fi access to download Macbites, which I thought was marvellous. He also said, another cracking show, I was getting some very strange looks from other people on the beach. I must learn to listen and not laugh so much. <laughs>
0: i like it (laughs) oh dear i like it and strategy oracle on twitter i feel famous now that i've been officially mentioned in episode 54 uh should we make that doubly famous because you've now been mentioned on 55 right strategy oracle my old mate
1: you're on a hat trick let's see what you can do to get a mention next week (laughs)
0: Well, that's it for this episode of MacBytes. Please join us. Which could prove to be the longest yet. If you didn't interrupt me, it would be shorter. Please do join... Please do join us for the MacBytes live coverage of the Apple Media event when we're expecting news of... iPhone, iPhone, iPhone. 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 Nearly. Not, not, Not bad. I think that was a good one. Mm. Well, more on that live on Tuesday and next time if you can't join us on Tuesday. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So send your questions, comments and queries by email to uk at gmail.com. Use the contact form on the website or send us an audio file and talking of audio thanks to minster for his audio comment about dvd ripping we've not forgotten you we're just with elaine's line fiasco we've not had the chance to do it the justice it deserves but you are penciled in for a large part of next week's show no you
1: said next week
0: they'll never notice
1: they will i'm declaring that MacByte's weeks have 14 days problem solved
0: if you think they'll fall for that you never know. Anyway, how about leaving a comment on the show notes at macbites.co.uk? And don't forget to keep sending in your Matt Love Bites. And don't forget to like us on Facebook,
1: always assuming you can navigate your way through the online maze that is indeed now Facebook.
0: Sign up for the newsletter at macbites.co.uk or, and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash macbites. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash elaine giles. And me at twitter.com slash thomasmike. So until the next time, this has been Mike and Elaine bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time.
1: I'm not going to reveal how many takes we needed for iPhone, iPhone, iPhone. Let's just say we need some practice before Tuesday. And other people need to wash their mouths out with lye soap, don't they, dear?
0: Before putting their teeth back in.